Our reading today, we're in Psalm 139. It's a short reading, verses 13 to 16. Uh, and we'll come back to this in a little while. It'd be great if you had, could be able to see it a little bit later when we come to it, so you can keep it open and, and have a look on in just a moment. And the outline should be helpful, if nothing else, as a kind of timepiece as to where we're up to. So Psalm 139, uh, from verse 13 to 16. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them the days that were formed for me, when as yet there were none of them. I'll pray for us again. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you so very, very much for your wonderful word. Uh, We thank you for the incredible design of life. We thank you for the wonderful forgiveness you offer us in your Son. Father, we pray today, as many of us come to this topic with all sorts of uh, different backgrounds, experience, exposure, we pray, Father, you would speak to us. Show us these things again. Assure us of your wonderful design. And Father, for those of us who need it, assure us again of the complete and total forgiveness that is found in the Lord Jesus Christ. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Rebecca looked down at the two blue lines staring back at her. Clenching the plastic stick in her hand, she wondered if she waited long enough, would they go away? Her stomach was in knots, What would people say? A youth leader, pregnant, out of wedlock. Martina had the words ringing in her ears as she left the consulting room. Her face felt hot and she fought back tears as she settled her bill. Trisomy 18. It's what the genetic testing showed. If the baby made it to term, there were going to be significant developmental delays. And there was only a 10% chance her little one would see its first birthday. This is not what she had envisaged. She felt like she was carrying a ticking time bomb of grief. I can't cope with this, she thought. I just can't cope with the not knowing. Sandra had two children, 16 and 14. Her family were busy, enjoying overseas holidays, preparing for VCE... And she loved her job in the high-end law firm. Tired, feeling run down, the blood tests from the doctor showed something completely unexpected. Six weeks pregnant. How could this be? She'd been using long-term contraception. This was more than an inconvenience. Oh, no, no, this was the worst dream. I'm so angry, she thought. This interrupts everything. And then there was that other emotion. What was that? Shame? People at my age just don't have babies. Brian sat next to his wife, their 15-year-old daughter across the table from them. And she broke down as she confessed to a moment of passion gone too far. This happens in other people's families, Brian thought. No, not to us. 
not to my angel. What about her schooling? How can she raise a child? She's still a child herself. And that boyfriend, Matt, whatever his name is, well, he's not going to hang around, is he? Just imagine. Imagine for a moment. You are Beck. You are Martina. You are Sandra or Brian or one of their partners. How would you feel? Who would you tell? Would you tell? And what if, what if there really was a way to make this all go away? Would you take it? No one need ever know. As you know, today we're going to talk about abortion. Uh, but as we do, we want to begin by putting ourselves into the shoes of the desperate people who face this decision. Uh, why? Well, two reasons. Uh, one is because we want us to feel how attractive abortion is in that one desperate moment of decision. And two, because we want to see how that moment comes not just to those out there, but to us in here. It's a great temptation, I think, isn't it, to, to think this could never happen to us. You know, not, not in our church. Not, not to those we know. But it's simply not true. The statistics say otherwise. And, and indeed, some of us here will already know that. So the question you see we want to ask today with, with great seriousness and great sympathy is, what will we do? What will we say? How will we love when abortion comes close to us? How will we, as it says in your little outlines there, think well, speak well, choose well and love well when it comes to abortion to the good of others and the glory of God? That's our question this morning. And in order to answer it, and in order to answer it well, the place we have to start is by asking, what does God say about human life? About what it is, and when it starts, and why it matters, and if it matters. Now, of course, our world will have all sorts of different answers to those kind of questions, but the real answer is, what does God say? And the answer? Well, first of all, God says that human life is precious. Why? Well, because unlike anything else in all that God has made, human life is uniquely and incredibly made in the image of God. Genesis chapter 1. Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. In verse 27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so just in case you missed it and you really weren't supposed to, uh, God repeats it again and again and again throughout the scriptures. Uh, Genesis chapter 5, Genesis 9, 1 Corinthians 11, James chapter 3. Unlike anything else in all that he has made, humanity is made in the image of God. And therefore, because of that, for that reason, according to God, Every human life is precious, without distinction. 
and without degree. Now, every single one of us and all of us the same, regardless of age or ability or gender or race or even whether we are within the womb or without. It's in the wonder God says in Genesis chapter 9. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So here's the point. Human life is precious. And if we're still not convinced, then actually all we need to do is look to God himself, to, to look to God the Son. To when God the Son took on flesh and became forever human. It's one author, J.I. Packer, will write, The really staggering Christian claim is that Jesus of Nazareth was God made man. The Almighty appeared on earth as a helpless human baby, unable to do more than lie and stare and wriggle and make noises, needing to be fed and changed and taught to talk like any other child. Nothing in fiction is so fantastic as this truth of the incarnation. See, we want to say also uh, nothing in fiction or without declares more loudly that human life is precious. But the question is, of course, uh, really the decisive question for what we're talking about this morning, when does that precious human life begin? Again, we have to ask first, what does God say? And what does God say? Well, in Job chapter 10, Job 31, Exodus 21, Luke chapter 1, and those wonderful words we heard from Psalm 139, God says that human life begins within the womb. Psalm 139 again, listen again. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you. When I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth, your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, as you look at those verses, uh, wonderful verses, I wonder particularly if you notice uh, three particular things. It's desperately important. First, David's life began within the womb. Did you see it? Second, it really was him. And not just a thing from which he later came. And third, God did it personally, wonderfully, fearfully. See, David's in no doubt of when his life began. Have a look there again, verse 13. In my mother's womb. And he's in no less doubt, and it's really very important, that it really was him. See how again and again it's my inmost being, my frame, I was made. That's what the wonderful uh, author, theologian John Stott has called the language of continuity. That him he is now is the very same as the him he was then. Only with eternal thanks for his mother, no doubt, and considerably smaller <laughs> back then. <clears throat> Finally, David's convinced, after all, did you hear his words of praise? That it's God who put him there. God who made him there. He's the one who did it. God made David within his mother's womb. 
just as he did for all of us. Friends, the scriptures declare again and again and again, human life is precious. And human life begins within the womb. And what's more, we think, as many of us here will testify, our own human experience confirms this fact. Hmm. So I've had um, two pregnancies now, as we alluded to earlier. Um, and I'll talk about Reuben because he was most recent. In the third trimester of his pregnancy, he used to get the hiccups quite a lot. Uh, but there was also this strange tickling sensation, different to all the other stretching, kicking movements he was quite adept at. It wasn't until he was born that I realised he was going to be a regular hiccupper, uh, but also that he was slept like this. I suddenly realised what I'd been feeling for months and he'd been practising in here was now a reality out here. That human life was once that human life. Our human life confirms, a human experience confirms the scriptures. And actually, not surprisingly, science does too. You probably already know that as soon as a sperm enters an egg, the resulting single cell contains all the genetic material that is needed to make a unique individual. Uh, but did you know that the study of embryology has become really key to modern medicine? Unfortunately, uh, some of our embryology lectures are a bit fuzzy for me now, but I do remember that the way the embryo develops, folds, stretches and grows explains really important concepts such as uh, muscle innovation, skin sensation, referred pain. And in fact, by just the third week of an embryo developing, it has already grown to three types of tissue from which every cell in the human body will be derived. Medicine just doesn't um, define a transition point from tissue to baby. There's just not a distinct place to draw that line other than at the moment of conception. From conception, a human life has begun with all of its complexity and uniqueness beginning to function and beginning to individualise. So this is the point and it's really, it's really, really important that we see it, uh, particularly in the, the competing voices of our world. And particularly when that moment of pressure comes, one, human life is precious. Two, human life does begin within the womb. Scriptures declare it. Our experience confirms it. And even the science backs it up. You see, that's why, right from the start, right at its core, abortion must be wrong. If this really is a human life, then taking that life is no different than taking the life of Anna's Reuben or Lloyd or my Isabel or for that matter any of your children right now at their learning of Jesus in Kids Church. If this really is a human life then taking that life is no different to taking one of theirs. And so the question is, and the question that's been driven home to me as I've prepared to speak on this a couple of times now is, why don't we care? At least as much as we should. Wonderful Christian author David Platt, as he writes of abortion, says this of himself, shamefully silent appallingly passive 
These are the words that come to mind when I consider my approach to the issue of abortion for the majority of my life as a Christian. See, I don't know about you, but I can't help but resonate. That's me too. The question is, why? Especially when, according to the Australian Department of Health, there are 90,000 abortions every year here in Australia. To give you a sense of that, that's one of every four children conceived. Or, as that same department tells us, one in three women will have an abortion in their lifetime. And the question is, why don't we care at least as much as we should? Well, as we've been speaking, we think a significant part of it, the reason for it, is we simply don't see it. As Russell Moore, another Christian, writes, the unborn child is the most vulnerable because he or she is invisible, hidden within the body of the mother. See, we want to say, so is abortion. Invisible. Hidden. And actually, if we're going to care about this, we need it not to be. And so that's what we're going to talk about now. We're going to talk about abortion. Now, just as a disclaimer, we want you to know that what we're going to say today uh, will be disturbing, and rightly, I think it should be. Uh, So here it goes. An abortion involves removing a developing baby from a uterus before a pregnancy is completed. In Victoria, abortion is legal until 24 weeks on request. But if two doctors agree that there's sufficient reason based on a woman's social, psychological or physical circumstances, she may have an abortion any time up to full term. An abortion may be medical, i.e. performed using medication, or surgical, using invasive procedures. Medical abortions are less common in Australia and tend only to be performed in the early stages of pregnancy, within the first 12 weeks. The pregnant woman here would be administered hormonal or chemotoxic drugs, which induces the abortion. Contrary to popular belief, the process is not instant. It may take hours or days and is associated with bleeding and cramping. And occasionally there's incomplete evacuation of the uterus and a follow-up dilatation and curatage procedure is required to complete the process. Surgical abortions are much more common in Australia and the exact method used depends on the age of the fetus. Each method will carry with it risks for infection, bleeding and damage to the woman's reproductive organs. Before 12 weeks, suction curatage is the most common method used. The cervix is stretched using metal rods. The fetus and supportive tissues are then removed using suction. If you're struggling to picture it, think of that thing your dentist uses. After 12 weeks, dilation and evacuation is the preferred method. Oh, sorry. (laughs) After 16 weeks, abortions are generally performed by intact dilation and extraction. After medically inducing cervical dilation, the body of the fetus is drawn out feet first while the fetal head remains inside the uterus and the doctor doctor punctures the base of the skull. The fetal head then collapses and may be suctioned out or crushed, which causes the baby to die. The now reduced size of the fetal head allows it to pass through the cervix. This is also sometimes called partial birth abortion 
and occasionally a lethal injection may be administered to the fetal heart before the procedure is performed. Well, sorry, I interrupted you and distracted yeah. you there, but um, the reason is you've had uh, uh, a moment of yeah. um, coming very close to this. Do you want to share something about that? Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's easy for me to say these words. I've got a medical background. It's very easy to hold it at arm length, arm's length when you know the terminology that you're supposed to use. Uh, when I was a student and on my obstetrics rounds, I walked into an operating theatre running late. I hadn't had a chance to look at the running list. And I walked in and I said to the nurse in charge, what procedure are we performing? And she turned to me and she said, we're doing a surgical termination of pregnancy. Uh, and I was floored. Uh, it makes me quite emotional to think about it. Uh, this lady had elected to terminate her pregnancy because it didn't suit her career plans and her life stage. Uh, this lady was somewhere around the 12-week mark. And as the doctor did the procedure, you could see parts of the baby coming through the suction tubes and ending up in a big canister. And the big canister got thrown out with the rest of the day's medical waste. So unceremonious, so uncelebrated, this new little life. Uh, later on in my career as a doctor, I worked a miscarriage clinic, and those images kept coming back for me. These ladies who so desperately wanted a little baby and couldn't carry one. And here again is the opposite. Our lives just not wanting to fill this space because of our own desires and things, and then unceremoniously dumping this little person in the medical waste. It was heartbreaking. We've got more to say and we'll, we'll keep saying it in a moment. Um, but we actually want to, if we might pause now um, and just take a moment, you might like to turn to someone next to you or near you and just, just verbalise how you feel uh, as you hear these things. Uh, or if you prefer, you might just like to internally verbalise to God how you feel in prayer. So we're going to give you just a moment now to talk to someone next to you if you'd like to uh, or say a prayer to uh, your Lord uh, right now and then we're going to continue on with some more stuff. So we're going to take a moment now, so please make the most of that now. Uh, we'll come back together. Uh, we don't know how you feel as you, you hear these things. Maybe you're upset that we even shared it with you. Uh, we're convinced, though, that part of the reason we don't care like we should is we, we just don't know what's going on. Like I said, I don't know how you feel. Maybe you feel awful, uh, sick, uh, angry. Um, if you do feel that way, it's important you know it's right that you do. Uh, it's also important for you to know you're not alone. Abortion is awful. It's awful to the child who is poisoned or punctured to death. But what you may not realise, because society so often assures us different, is that it's also often awful for the mother. See, despite what the Family Planning Victoria website so cheerfully tells us, you know, most women who have had abortions are no more likely to experience long-term psychological, emotional problems than women who have not had an abortion. Many grieving women tell a different story. As one woman wrote, not a day goes by when I don't think about it. I can't believe I did it. I wish I could change everything and go back. I'll never be forgiven for what I did. Or another, after the abortion, the grief set in. It was like nothing I'd ever felt before. Far worse than the grief after my miscarriages and even my father's death. Along with the grief was guilt such as I'd never known before. It never left. I turned inwards. Many times I felt like committing suicide, but I never did because of the children I do have. I have a longing to turn back time, excuse me, time so that I might undo what I did. Even Ben Folds has written a song about his own grief following abortion. 
You might know it. He sings, She's a brick, but I'm drowning slowly. Off the coast, but I'm headed nowhere. As weeks went by, it showed that she was not fine. They told me, Son, it's time to tell the truth. She broke down, and I broke down. I'm feeling more alone than I ever have before. And we're aware that some of you might know those feelings much closer than others of us in the room. I'm going to assure you now, as I'll assure you later, there is forgiveness in Jesus and life in him. But for now, what we want us to see is that abortion, yes, abortion hurts the child. And it hurts the father. And it hurts the mother. And that's why God hates it. See, what does God say about abortion? As it asks there on your outline somewhere. Well, except in the very rare cases where the mother's life is in imminent risk to abortion, in a word, God says no. He says no to abortion. Why? Because he says yes to life and yes to children and yes to women. As we saw earlier, again and again in his word, God says that every human life is precious. Whether we can see that life or want that life or care for that life or not, God can and God does. At the cost of his son who entered the world like that child in a womb. At the cost of his son who entered that world for that child within the womb. That's how much God cares. And furthermore, only God has the right to do what abortion does. As we've already heard from Genesis 9, and we see again and again through his word, only God has the right to take a human life. As Mother Teresa has so famously quoted, only God can decide life and death. That is why abortion is such a terrible sin. You're not only killing life, but putting self before God. They want to make themselves almighty God. They want to say, I can do without God. I can decide. That is the most devilish thing a human hand can do. Finally then, two questions. First, why is our world so slow to agree? A lady asked us this question in our own church just last weekend. We were saying we're going to be here with you this morning. Why do so few seem to agree with us? Do you know the answer? It's because behind a long list of other reasons given, but some admirable, others not so much, It's because behind those reasons lies a radically different answer to those very first questions we asked about life. About what it is, why it matters, if it matters, whose place it is to make that call. I don't know if you've realised, but when it comes to abortion, there are four, I think, particular aspects of the way our world views people that all kind of collude and conspire to set it against all that we've heard from God's word. It's actually really important that we know them. First, so we're not just kind of blindly swept along. And second, so we know who we're talking to when after this service we leave and speak to our friends. What are they? Well, in very summary form, the first is what you might call an economic view of life. 
where people are now measured by what they do instead of who they are. Where people are kind of ranked by contribution instead of the fact they are human, made in the image of God. Second, this ethic of ours of pleasure and pain, where what's good for a person and indeed right for the world is maximum pleasure, minimum pain, no matter the cost, especially to somebody else. Third is what you might call our ethic of personal fulfilment, where the dominant question is, what will make me happy? That's very most basic you'll hear in that phrase, as long as it makes you happy. That's the test. That's the kind of rule. It's what some have called the I world, where if it's good for I, then it's always good. Or if it's good for you, it must be good. And the fourth, and the one I think that gathers them all together, is our ethic of personal autonomy, perhaps put best by old Billy Joel, where he sings, I don't care what you want, what you say anymore. This is my life. Go ahead with your own life, leave me alone. And I wonder, can you see how when all of these come together, they collude and conspire against God and his good word? Can you see how they, they collude and they conspire against precious people? made in the image of God, living within the womb. People like my godmother's Down syndrome daughter, Gemma Louise. Here she is now, according to Facebook, age 25. Just in case you can't read the caption, here's what it says. Happy 25th birthday, Gemma Louise. You've certainly made my life very interesting and have brought joy, love and laughter to our lives. And I can't help but wonder how Gemma would have fared 25 years ago if my godmother measured life the way our world so often does instead of the way God declares we must. Finally then, what are the implications? What now for us? We actually just want to suggest two things, uh, love and trust. First, we must love the unborn child. How? We think, first of all, with our words. John Stott puts it, we have to have the courage to use accurate language. If we truly believe all we've just heard, then we need to speak like we do, and consistently so. We actually need to stop talking about mothers-to-be and fathers-to-be. If they are pregnant, they are mothers. They are fathers right now. Just last week, one of the speakers at the Christian Union said in the room, put your hand up if you're a mum or a dad. And one of the apprentices whose wife is pregnant, put his hands right up in the air. <laughs> and he was right to do so. He's right. And we must speak like he's right. And when speaking of the unborn child, we have to stop saying it. And make sure we say he or she, or they, or even something more beautiful. And when it comes to abortion, as hard as it is, we have to stop saying, terminating a pregnancy. And instead we have to say, terminating a child. Killing a child. So we need to love unborn children with our words. And with our deeds. As many of you I know will know, the next March for Babies is October 13. 
would we be willing to be there? Or if we can't, to support it? As again, we know some of you already do. We want to suggest the second thing we must love is those considering abortion. Megan Best writes in her book that many women who have had abortions are still not convinced it's the right thing to do. And the research seems to show that women feel helpless in their circumstances. They simply feel they have no other option. But there are other options. For us to love those who are considering an abortion, we need to have both empathy and knowledge. We need to have empathy for their situation, for their hurt, their shame, their anger, their regret, and knowledge of the alternatives that we can offer them. Now, I don't mean that we need a bunch of brochures that we can fling at them. I mean we need to offer a choice and then walk with them in it. To roll up our sleeves and pitch in because for many women, the choice not to abort is still very costly. So what are the other options? Well, in a nutshell, there are two. Uh, The woman can choose to keep the child or to let the child be adopted and the father should be involved in that decision too. In Australia, there are more people waiting to adopt a child than there are babies available for adoption. And as the stats we've heard today show, this is probably not surprising given the high number of abortions. And we actually personally know several couples who have been waiting 12 months or longer on the adoption registry. What a beautiful opportunity it would be as a believer to image the adoption God has extended to us by bringing these children into our homes. And we can offer reassurance to the women who take this option. We can tell them that the families who are taking their newborns are eager parents, wanting to love and care for their little ones. Uh, The second option that the women can take would be to keep the child themselves. Now, this is no easy task. Many of these women are single, they're unsupported, but there are several services available to them, and you'll find some of them listed on your handout. Uh, These organisations can provide material and emotional and social support for new mums. Uh, The Centrelink can provide a single parenting payment for mothers who might have to leave work or who are partnerless. But as a church especially if we are calling women to keep their babies rather than abort them, we should step out and assist too. After all, the vulnerable in our society, the widows, the orphans, the fatherless are so dear to God's heart and they really should be to ours. We need to love them practically, generously and with inclusivity. And I've recently read two great examples of God's people doing just this showing true love to women who've bravely chosen against abortion. I'd love to share them with you. Uh, One was of a church in poor black America where if a teenager has a baby that she can't care for, the church does. They baptise the baby, they put them in the care of an older couple within the church and then they care for the mother as they care for her baby. Another was of a church where a Sunday school teacher became pregnant outside of marriage. And as she began to show... She was too ashamed to come to church until one family told her, you must come to church and when you do, please sit with us and no matter how the church reacts, we'll sit with you and support you and protect you. And she did. And they did. And that family and that church helped that lady have and raise her child. Must love the unborn child. Must love those considering an abortion. We must love those who had an abortion. Perhaps like some of us here today. 
We need to love them by making sure that they know. And friends, if this is you in the room, we really want you to know. Just as he did for us, Christ died for you. Christ accepts you. Christ loves you. Not because of anything you have or haven't done, but because of what he has done for you. It says in 1 Corinthians, one of my favorite verses, and this has been of great effect to some of the women I've spoken to from campus. And that is what some of you were. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. And it's true. Friends, our churches should be full of people who've had abortions. Not because we want more abortions happening within our churches, but because we want those who've had them to know that here they are welcomed and loved. And if they put their trust in Jesus just as we are, they are just as forgiven as any of us. And then they can stand beside us to fight against this evil. We need to love. Finally, we need to trust. We need to trust God. And even against all those competing voices and pressures, that God's way is right and it is best always. Even if we find ourselves in exactly the same situation as Rebecca, remember her? Or Martina, or Sandra, or Brian from the start of our talk, even then we can and must trust God in this area of life as in all others. God can and will bring good even out of the most difficult situations. We can trust him even in this. As joy to a close, we just want to share just one final story. This one is from a lady in my Bible study group. Uh, again, someone else, as soon as this topic is raised, lots of the voices and stories come. I told her we were going to be speaking on this and she told us her story and she said she was glad uh, for us to share it. So with this I will close. Anna. In, <clears throat> excuse me. In November 2003, I was about 14 weeks pregnant with our second child and eagerly looking forward to our next checkup with our obstetrician. However, during a routine ultrasound, we could see that the doctor was concentrating on something she'd seen on the screen. She pointed it out to us, and even with our untrained eyes, we could see that there was liquid surrounding our baby's lungs, and her lungs were floating in that liquid. Hydrothorax she said to us. This means water in the lung cavity, in layman's terms. She proceeded to inform us that nine out of ten babies will be stillborn. If not, the baby will be born without fully functioning lungs and she'll have to be hooked up onto an oxygen tank for the rest of her life. She would be unlikely to live past ten years. The best course of action was to abort. We were absolutely devastated. We were sent to two other doctors to confirm the diagnosis and we were given the exact same advice. What should a parent do in such circumstances? We are Christians. We cannot abort our child, even if her life is deemed unviable by the doctors. We cried, we prayed, we changed doctors. We went to one who was a Christian. In fact, he was an elder in our church. He confirmed the diagnosis and supported our decision to see the pregnancy through. 
we strongly believed our Lord Jesus will equip us with the strength and grace we need to weather the storms, even if it meant nursing a gravely ill child for as long as necessary. A few weeks later, we had another routine ultrasound. This time, there were no signs of water anywhere. The doctor sent us to another specialist who confirmed this. Praise the Lord! Her lungs started to develop, the pregnancy progressed without any further complications, and our beautiful baby girl was born, May 19, 2004. She is happy, healthy, and she had the most robust cry when she arrived. We could hear her cries all the way from the nursery. They were that loud. We thank and praise the Lord for his mercy and grace, blessing us with a healthy baby girl. That young girl's name is Sarah. Uh, She's now friends with one of my kids and joins us at church to praise Jesus with us. As we close, that's what we're going to do too. Let's praise Jesus. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you so very, very much. We praise you for Sarah. We praise you for Gemma Louise praise you for every precious human life made in your image praise you father for your wonderful word again we pray for the protection of vulnerable children we pray father for people in this room who need to know and be assured of your deep forgiveness for them in the lord jesus christ that they would know it now and know it deeply we pray for this church that together they would learn how and then keep doing love and trust Help them know how to love one another well. To love those outside of the church who they would love to welcome in. And to trust you in all things, even the most difficult decisions of life. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for your good design. So grateful for the forgiveness you give us in Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Amen.